This morning we are talking about the topic of homosexuality and um, you may ask yourself why. If you are visiting with us this morning, if you're a parent and your kids go to school here, um, we're talking about homosexuality for a variety of reasons. The most obvious is that we are in the book of Romans and in Romans chapter 1, Paul addresses the topic. And we, uh, here at Grace Bible Church, we, we teach uh, biblical exposition. We take books of the Bible and we move through those books and we try not to jump over any sections or topics because they're challenging or difficult, but to go straight through them. So the first reason that we are addressing the topic is because it's right there in the middle of Romans. But there are also some practical reasons as well. Uh, in case you've been asleep for the last 20 years, this is one of the defining social issues of our generation. 1997, uh, Ellen came out on her TV show, and she was praised by some as a hero. There's also a pretty significant public outcry, and the next year, the network canceled her show. But now, if you turn on the TV, it is difficult for you to find a television show that doesn't have a major character who is homosexual. Last week, uh, this young man, Dakota Airy, was given one day in-school suspension, two days full suspension, because he disagreed with his teacher about homosexuality. He told his teacher that he believed homosexuality was wrong. The teacher disagreed, and he got suspension for it. And this didn't happen in California. This was in Fort Worth, Texas. Because it was in Fort Worth, Texas, the suspension was ultimately lifted because he needed to play football on Friday night. (laughs) Up until 2003, sodomy was illegal in the state of Texas. It is now legal, not only in the state of Texas, it is legal in every state. And there are six states that sanction homosexual marriage, uh, including Washington, D.C. It's everywhere. According to the Pew Research Center, fully 77% of the grandparent generation would say homosexuality is always wrong. Compared with those born after 1981, just 43%. It's an enormous cultural shift. How should the church respond? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it something to condemn? How should we respond? Second reason we're studying this is because most of us have been personally affected by the issue of homosexuality. Maybe this morning that you are struggling with this issue and battling to try to discern what do you think about it? What choices should you make? Uh, Maybe uh, a friend close friend or a family member, maybe a roommate. Um, My first exposure to this issue came when I was a sophomore in college here at Texas A&M University. Uh, One of my my closest friends, this guy I I probably saw almost every day. We had classes together, we studied together, we played basketball together, we did Bible study together, I saw him all the time. Sophomore year in college, he came to me tearfully and he said, I'm homosexual. I'm a Christian, but I'm homosexual. And I will tell you, you know, you students can't, it's hard for you to fathom that that would actually rock anybody's world because the culture that you grew up in is very different. If you you look at people my age and everybody older who's sitting in this room, we grew up in a different culture in the United States than you have grown up in. For me, it rocked my world. This is the first person that I personally had known and was personally close to who said he was homosexual. And I didn't know how to react. I remember uh, being shocked, stunned. I, I I spend time in prayer before the Lord and I say, Lord, how would you have me respond? What would you have me do? Because I'm either all in and I'm going to be this guy's friend and stick with him and be loyal to him, or I'm I'm just going to tell him I'll have nothing to do with you, but I'm not going to pretend to be his friend. 
I'm going to make a choice one way or the other with this relationship. And I felt very clearly like God was calling me to stick with this friend. And so I did. I and another friend, we stuck really close to him through a lot of ups and downs. It's a long, challenging, uh, dark story. And we stuck with him for years and years. And in recent years, he has made some really bad decisions. And our relationship is it's strained. It's alienated right now. And I'm wrestling again with how I should respond to this guy. I would say he was one of my closest lifetime friends. And I think for most of you here, it struck close to home. Through this guy, I, I, I met the homosexual community at Texas A&M. And later we lived in Dallas at the same time. And met the homosexual community living there in Dallas. And I got an inside look at, at what the community actually lives through and what it's like. It's very personal for me. Third reason is that Christians have often responded without grace. As homosexuality has become more prominent in our culture, a lot of Christians have reacted in fear and condemnation rather than in grace and truth and love. For most homosexuals, when they think about the church, something like this probably comes to mind. There is the church and there is homosexuality, but the two don't intersect. Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas, great illustration of this. They have made a name for themselves in their reaction to homosexuality. They pick it in any place, any event where homosexuality is a topic, and they stand around and they hold up signs that say, God hates homosexuals, but they don't use, use the word homosexuals. They use a much more derogatory term. In fact, the, the, the name of their website is God Hates Homosexuals. That's the name of the church's website. And I want to tell you, if this is an issue that you personally are wrestling with or affected by, that is not the message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ is summed up in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one unique son. But whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life that lasts forever. God so loves the world. That includes the homosexual. That includes a person who lies and cheats and steals and commits adultery and who gets drunk. It includes absolutely everyone in this world. God loves us so much that he demonstrated that love by giving his son Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins and to rescue us from that debt. And so what I hope you hear this morning is both truth and it is grace. Where I want to start this morning, our discussion is with definition. What do we mean when we use the term homosexual? You may say, well, that's obvious. We all mean the same thing. Well, not necessarily. The term is used in a variety of ways. It may be used to refer to attraction, simply attraction, physical or emotional attraction, whether or not it is acted upon. Sometimes that's what people mean when they talk about homosexuality. Sometimes people mean identity. In other words, that attraction, that longing becomes so strong and so dominant and it endures for such a long period of time that some folks eventually say, you know, that is who I am. I am homosexual or I am bisexual. That is the most important and enduring quality of my personality. I'm homosexual. Third way that we use the word is to refer to behavior. A person could say I'm attracted and might even say I identify myself as a homosexual and never act upon it. Sometimes we talk about homosexual behavior, actual homosexual acts. 
Some people would say, I'm actually not even attracted nor do I identify myself as homosexual, but I want to experiment. Okay, so the term can be used in three different ways, at least. As we're going through this discussion, I want you to keep these distinctions in mind, and I'll bring them up again uh, later on. Now, first question that comes to people's minds, maybe the most important question um, in their minds is this, where does homosexual attraction come from? I personally don't think this is the most important question. Uh, I'm going to address it first because it comes to people's minds first, um, but I don't think it's most critical. Three possibilities. It comes from choices that people make. It comes from their nature. That is, some people are actually born gay. Or it comes from nurture. That is, environment, okay, heritage, people's history and experiences. So choices, nature, or nurture. What is it? Well, let me say, first of all, that um, no one has ever woken up one morning and said, today I choose to be homosexual. Nor can a person wake up the following morning and say, I changed my mind. Today I choose not to be homosexual. Okay? When Christians in particular say it's simply a choice, that way oversimplifies the issue. Okay? It's not simply a choice of the will. Now, we don't choose, and remember we're talking here about attractions. We don't directly choose our attractions. Those are caused by a whole host of factors that I'll talk about in a moment. But we don't simply choose our attractions. We choose our behaviors. And we are responsible for our behaviors. And behaviors can reinforce attractions, right? The more you choose to behave in a certain way, it reinforces and empowers that attraction in time. And that's a fact. Uh, One researcher, Mark Breedlove, he was uh, at the time, he was actually working at uh, UC Berkeley. He said this, Uh, These findings, these findings of of my research, give us proof for what we theoretically know to be the case, that sexual experience can alter the structure of the brain just as genes can alter it. It is possible that differences in sexual behavior cause rather than are caused by differences in the brain. What he's saying here is something that Christians have known for a long time. Uh, When I'm tempted and I give in to that temptation, and then I give in to that temptation, and then I give in to that temptation, that temptation gains more and more and more power in my life. It has a spiritual effect. What he's saying is it also, according to research, has a physiological effect. That pattern of behavior becomes deeply ingrained in our hearts and our minds, spiritually and physiologically. So while we don't choose our attractions, we are responsible for our behaviors, and our behaviors can reinforce attractions. Okay? But it's not, it's not true to simply say, Homosexuality is a choice. So, is it then nature? Are some people actually born gay? Well, uh, one of the landmark studies in this area was done by a guy named Simon LeVay. He published his research in 1991. And for years, people referred to his research as definitive proof that there is a gay gene. Uh, Years later, Simon LeVay himself would say this. I did not prove that homosexuality is genetic or find a genetic cause for being gay. I didn't show that gay men are born that way, the most common mistake people make in interpreting my work, nor did I locate a gay center in the brain. I didn't prove that. Although the work of Simon LeVay is constantly cited as demonstration proof of a gay gene. The same year, 1991, uh, two men, Bailey and Pillard, uh, conducted a twin study. 
And what they discovered was this. If one twin was gay, in the case of identical twins, then both were gay 52% of the time. In the case of fraternal twins, both were gay 22% of the time. Their conclusion, because of a higher correlation when twins were identical, 52% as opposed to 22%, they said, therefore, homosexuality is genetic. They actually proved just the opposite. If homosexuality were caused by a gene and that gene determined that a person would be homosexual, then identical twins would be homosexual 100% of the time. If one was gay, the other would be gay. Just as if one has blue eyes, the other would have blue eyes because they have exactly the same genetic code. So what he proved was this is not the one and only determinative factor. What the research has shown of all the studies is there is no definite biological proof that there is a gay gene. Now, that being said, what that means is simply this. Everyone is born heterosexual. Okay? Everyone is born heterosexual. Okay? Everyone is born, in other words, biologically speaking, male or female. That's just a fact. You're born heterosexual. At the same time, um, I personally, in my conversations with um, my homosexual friends, I'm willing to concede the point that sin may have affected our genetic code. Okay? That's not a stretch for me, that sin has affected the genetic code. There are a few of you out there who are wearing glasses and contacts. That's a genetic defect. Okay? I can almost guarantee you that Adam and Eve did not need glasses or contacts. They were genetically perfect. But sin, through time, generation after generation after generation, has affected us physiologically. Some people have to wear glasses. Some have heart disease that runs in their family. Some have diabetes, and that runs in their family. It's not a stretch for me to imagine that sin may have affected the DNA so that there are behavioral influences genetically. There's been a lot of research on a gene for obesity or a gene for alcoholism. You know what? Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. Nevertheless, that doesn't excuse behavior. Okay? I was born heterosexual, which means I'm going to have a propensity to heterosexual lust. And if I commit adultery, I'm responsible for that. Maybe that the alcoholism genetically runs in my family, but if I choose to become an alcoholic, choose to reinforce that genetic code through my behavior, I'm responsible for that. In other words, it may be that there's a genetic component, but that does not excuse behavior. We make choices for our behavior. So, what about nurture? Well, uh, in my opinion, it may be choices, nature, nurture. It may be a combination of all three. But if you look at the research, nurture always, or environment, or history always plays a factor. Let me give you just a couple of illustrations. Uh, Nearly 70% of gender-confused boys do not have a good father at home. Nearly 70%. Now, uh, what do I mean by that? Um, Gender-confused, they're not sure about their maleness and how to express it. Um, They're struggling, wrestling with homosexuality. Uh, I don't think you could ever find a grade school or junior high young man or woman who's beginning to wrestle with these attractions and temptations who wouldn't immediately say, I don't want that. I don't want that. My friend talked about himself 
and his friends in that community, and when they're honest and the doors close and there's no one else but homosexuals sitting in the room, they don't want that. Okay? But in 70% of the cases, there is, there's some form of fa- family dysfunction. 70% of the cases, it is a relationship between uh, a son and father or mother and daughter. It's with that same sex parent. Uh, for boys, the dynamic goes like this. Um, when, a, when a baby boy is born, he naturally connects to mom. Mom's the nurturer, caregiver. Um, that's the first point of connection and identification. About 18 months for boys, boys begin to step back, and it's called individuation. They begin to try to discover themselves and who they are. You see it in a variety of forms of behavior where they're physically walking and they're trying to separate and they're moving away. In this process, beginning about 18 months for boys, they begin to look to dad. They begin to try to separate from mom and bond to dad. And if they find in dad a a loving and caring and nurturing and and safe father, that connection happens quickly and immediately, and dad becomes the role model. This is how to be a man. This is what masculinity is. If instead they they find a dad who is completely emotionally disconnected or who may even be cruel, then you know what? That connection never happens. And so masculinity always remains a bit of a mystery. And so they spend their lives searching because they need that connection. They need to connect to men. And they need to discover what does it mean to be a man. And so they search and search and search. And they don't know the normal and proper and correct way to connect and to become a man. And it manifests itself in homosexuality. Now, uh, just because a father may be distant and um, may even be cruel, doesn't mean that a son will turn out to be homosexual. There may be a variety of different issues that surface in the kid's life. Uh, Some of those may be seen. Some of those may not be seen. Sometimes it it results in other forms of promiscuity. But among homosexual men, in 70% of the cases, they, they reported that they did not form a natural, emotional, healthy bond with the dad. Second, second contributing factor is abuse in the home. 46% of homosexual men report that they have been molested. That is much, much higher than the general population. 90% of lesbian women have had experienced, in another study, some form of abuse as a child. So physical abuse, sexual abuse, is another contributing factor. There are uh, several other contributing factors, like exposure to pornography and other media. Uh, personality and temperament. So uh, a son, for example, who is very sensitive... The world reacts differently to the sensitive child. So two kids can grow up in exactly the same home and experience an entirely different home life because the world reacts differently. Uh, Peer harassment and bullying can reinforce fears and doubts. Am I really a man? And I don't know how to connect to these, you know, first I disconnect to mom, I'm trying to connect to dad, then I need to connect to peers of my same sex, but I'm having a difficult time doing that. Okay, all of those factors. Uh, Negative body image. All of these things can influence same-sex attraction. Uh, There's a man named Jeffrey Statenover. Um, He's a Christian. He's an expert in this field. If you're interested in some of the the research that's done, he's probably the best place to go, Jeffrey Statenover. Um, He said this. He's citing research done by uh, two teams, uh, Bine and Parsons and Friedman and Downey. He said they concluded that there was no evidence to to support a biological theory but rather that homosexuality could best be explained by an alternative model where temperamental and personality traits 
interact with familial and social milieu as the individual sexuality emerges. In other words, it's a whole host of factors. And parents, I know some of you may be sitting there and you have a child that is either wrestling with issue, this issue or may be acting out and living a homosexual lifestyle. And the big question on your mind is, did I make my child homosexual? And the answer to that question is no, you did not. It's a whole bunch of factors working together. Some of them may be genetic. Some of them may be choices that child made. Some of them may be experiences that happen outside of the home. Some of them may be experiences that happen inside of the home. And I would say uh, to you dads in particular, if you create an environment for your kids that was not warm and loving and caring, if you were not emotionally accessible, then that may have been a contributing factor and maybe part of the healing for your child may be that you first go and say, please forgive me for that. And you learn to make yourself emotionally accessible and to love your kids. Okay? But parents, did you cause it? No. You didn't cause it. Okay? And here's, here's, the, here's my conclusion. It's this. This is just not the most important issue. Where does the attraction come from? That's not the fundamental issue. The fundamental issue is how do we respond And what are we responsible for? Not where did it come from? Now, understanding where it came from in your life may be really helpful for you in the process of healing, but it doesn't give an excuse. Whether it's genetic, whether it's things that people did to you, whether it's choices you made, here we are today. And how will you choose? And where where will you go from here? So, is it a sin? Biblically speaking, is it a sin? Uh, for many of you, most of you, you may say, well, that's a foregone conclusion. Um, I'm not sure why we're even talking about this, but uh, it is actually debated among Christians whether or not it's a sin. Uh, Gene Robinson was the first openly homosexual man who was in a long-term homosexual relationship who was ordained as a bishop. It happened in 2003 up in New Hampshire. He said this, The question is, are there any answers there that is in the Bible For what we're asking today, which is the rightfulness of faithful, monogamous, lifelong-intentioned relationships between people of the same sex. And the Bible simply does not address that. Okay, It's a bishop, and he says, Christian bishop, he says the Bible doesn't address that. We now have actually five major denominations that will ordain homosexuals and that will perform homosexual marriages. Five major Christian denominations. So it is an issue that is debated among some Christian circles. I think the biblical evidence is very clear. There are six passages that directly address the issue, including the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis, in the book of Genesis. We're just going to look at a few of those. Uh, In the Old Testament, two passages in Leviticus that I want us to look at. First, Leviticus 18. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. And then in chapter 20, verse 13. If there's a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman... Both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Now, what would Gene Robinson say? Okay, He'd say a couple of things. First, he might say that in the context, what's being discussed is homosexuality in the context of cultic worship, as we talked about, bringing immorality into a worship setting. But the setting or the context of Leviticus is about Purity overall, purity of the community, okay? not just homosexuality in the worship setting. Or he might say, that's the Old Testament, that doesn't apply to us any longer, right? We don't keep a lot of Old Testament laws. For example, uh, you know, don't wear clothes that have two different kinds of thread, right? 
So we put that aside and we don't obey that. We don't need to obey this any longer either. We're now much more enlightened. Well, the fact of the matter is the two threads type laws were an illustration, okay, a cultural illustration of holiness. So the people were set apart because they actually wore different kinds of clothes. Just a cultural illustration of the concept of being distinct or set apart. Consequently, you don't see those laws repeated in the New Testament because they're not really applicable culturally. However, the moral laws, murder, adultery, homosexuality, you see those repeated in the New Testament. So the New Testament affirms the moral laws that were stated in the Old Testament. Now, a couple of New Testament passages to look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. A similar idea in 1 Timothy 1, verses 9 through 10. It says, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor, uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Two things I want to point out in this passage. First, he is not saying that people who struggle in these areas of sin can't have eternal life. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about a group of people who have no other identity than these persistent behaviors. As a matter of fact, the believers, Christians in Corinth, actually do commit many, if not all, of these sins. And Paul says, stop committing those because... That is no longer your fundamental identity. So stop behaving in that manner. So he's not saying people who do these kinds of sins can never get into heaven. That's not what he's saying at all. Second thing I want to point out, the translation effeminate is a complete mistranslation in the New American Standard. Without getting too graphic, what he's talking about is uh, two people. This word for effeminate is referring to the passive partner in a homosexual act. And the word homosexual is referring to the dominant partner in a homosexual act. So what Paul is saying is, whether you're the passive partner or the dominant partner, whether you're playing the role of the male or you're playing the role of the female, whether you're initiating or whether you're receiving, both partners in a homosexual act are committing sin. Okay, It's really clear. Applies not just to men, but also to women. This is the passage we've been studying in Romans It says, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So it applies to men. It applies to women. Teaching in Scripture is clear. Old Testament, New Testament. The conclusion is the same, and that is homosexuality is sin. Now, a couple of thoughts. First, What the Bible talks about is behavior, not attraction. That's what the Bible talks about. It talks about behavior. It doesn't talk about attraction. Second, homosexual behavior is sin. And we choose our behaviors, and that choice to behave and commit homosexual acts is sin, and that's what the Bible addresses. Third, attraction or temptation is not sin. Attraction or temptation... Is not sin. We are all attracted to things or drawn to things or tempted by things constantly in our lives that are sinful, and we need to choose to say no to those things. Okay? James chapter 1 says, Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust is conceived, then it gives birth to sin. 
Okay? Temptation is not sin. Temptation begins a pathway that if I respond to that temptation in uh, the fundamental issue being greed, okay, envy, or as Paul would say in Romans, not giving thanks for what I have, and I go after that thing, then it's going to get a root in my life, and I may choose eventually to commit a homosexual act or some other act that I'm being tempted toward. could be anything. But the point is this. Temptation or attraction is not sin. Okay, Martin Luther once said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Okay, that's the point. You can't keep temptations or attractions from coming. But you can keep them from taking root in your life and choosing to act upon them. Okay, so what does the Bible say? Uh, clearly, it is sin. Is it worse than other sins? Uh, the answer is no in this sense. Any sin separates you from a holy God. Okay? In that sense, it is, it is no different from any other sin. Any and every sin will separate you from a holy God. In First Corinthians chapter 6, uh, you may have noticed that it is listed along with stealing, getting drunk, and coveting. Okay? That includes a few more of us. Okay? Romans chapter 1, it's actually in the middle of a long list of sins that start with refusing to honor God as God and give thanks for what we have, which moves to idolatry and then to sexually immoral practices and then to this long list of relational sins like uh, gossip, <laughs> not obeying parents, and then it finally concludes with promotion of evil in the culture. Okay? So it's right there in the middle of the pack. Paul actually would save himself this, 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said, is it, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost or the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, you know, the longer I walk with God and the longer I see how dark my own heart is, I'm chief of sinners. <laughs> Not that person who's homosexual or the drunkard. It, it's me. I'm chief of sinners. But God saved me to show that God's grace and God's mercy, God's power demonstrated at the cross can reach out into any life and can, and can rescue it. That's why God saved me. Okay? And this morning, you, you may not know God personally. He, he may be frightening to you. It may be because of the response of some Christians. Or maybe because you've just never understood that God genuinely loves you and he proved his love for you by giving his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins. And all that you have to do is say, God, I believe. I, I believe. I accept that free gift because the power of the cross transcends how dark and deep your sin may be. It transcends all of that. Any faults you have, any fear, any failure, any sin, the cross of Christ is more powerful. And that's what Paul is saying. God saved me because I was chief of sinners to prove that he can save you, no matter what your sin is. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, he reached out to and he touched the prostitutes and others who were sexually immoral, but man, the people he blasted were the self-righteous. Those are the people that he hammered. The ones who thought that they themselves were righteous and they pronounced the final verdict on somebody else's life. Jesus didn't look kindly on that. So what that means is, if this is a sin you are wrestling with or struggling with, you are not a second-class Christian. You're not a second-class Christian. When I was living in Dallas, uh, trying to get through seminary, I had several jobs. One of them was I was a security guard 
which you may find hard to believe. But I'm actually, uh, I'm really pretty dangerous. Um, one of my friends from the hockey league is here, and he knows how scary I can be. Uh, actually, it was not a high-risk security job. I didn't carry a weapon or anything. Um, just kind of guarded the gate. Uh, I, I became friends at this one job with um, a lot of the people who worked there. Hey, we were contractors, so we didn't actually work for the company. But people would come in. It was a, a data management uh, company. Guys who would come in. I worked a night shift, and they, so they're running things around the clock. I became friends. One guy in particular named Hank. He would take his breaks. He'd come up to the security station. We'd talk. It'd take 20, 30 minutes. And we'd just chat and talk. And sometimes, uh, after a while, I, I found out that he didn't have a ride home. And so I offered him a ride home. And I started giving Hank a ride home from time to time. One night, he walked in, and I said, Hank, uh, you going to need a ride home tonight? He stopped, and he just looked at me for a minute. He goes, you know, Brian, you, know, you, you may not want to associate with me. You know, you may not want to tell people that we're friends and give me rides and stuff. And I go, really? Why? He goes, well, some people around here, they think I'm gay. You know, at the time I was a 25, 26 year old single guy living in Dallas. And he goes, well, some people around here, they think I'm gay. And I said, really? Are you? He just kind of stared at me for a minute and he said, well, yeah. I said, okay. So, well, Hank, you know that I'm a Christian, right? So, so, I believe the Bible teaches that homosexual behavior is a sin. But I'll tell you, um, I'm tempted and sometimes I give in to other sins as well. So, in the sight of Christ, I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. And that's why Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins and give us power to not give in to our sin, not give in to temptation that comes after us. So, you and I are very much alike. And as for the opinion of the people around here, I don't really care. So do you need a ride? <laughs> so, yeah, I could use a ride tonight. Well, you know, that just deepened our relationship significantly, and I was able to share the gospel with him again over and over. It's actually actually able to spend some time with him in prayer as he was nursing his lifelong live-in boyfriend who was dying of AIDS. I was able to walk with him through all of that grief. Now, as far as I know, He never trusted Christ. But what I wanted to do for him is I wanted to speak truth and I wanted to show him grace. And I think that's the church's calling. So do we really need to call it sin? Couldn't I have just pointed him to the cross? I think we need to call it sin. It's an archaic word. It's a word that's not used a lot. People don't necessarily uh, like it, but I think it's the appropriate stumbling block because the Bible calls it sin. Okay, sin, certain behaviors, choices that we make, whether it's homosexuality or lying or gossip, or whatever, those are moral offenses against God. The Bible calls it sin. Okay? Second reason, though, is that this is how we help lead people to the cross. Until somebody knows, I'm a sinner. They don't recognize that they need God's grace. Okay? They're morally responsible to God, and they can't make up for their sin by a whole lifetime of good works. This is what draws people to God. They they first have to acknowledge, I need a Savior before they come to the Savior. Third reason is to help them escape the consequences. If we really love people, we want them to escape the consequences of destructive behavior. 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul says, flee immorality, flee sexual immorality. 
Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Uh, All sins are equal in the sense that all sins separate us from a holy God, but not all sins are equal in the consequences in this life. Particularly sexual sins have greater consequences because they, they affect the physical body, they affect relationships, they affect all of culture. And so there are some sins, including sexual sins, that have greater consequences for the individual. And if we love someone, we warn them of those consequences. This may be what God uses to draw them to turn from their sins and to turn to Christ. Let me give you just a few illustrations. First, 78% of homosexuals have had at least one STD. That's much higher than the general population. There is a 50% higher incidence of depression among homosexuals. According to one study, there is a three times higher risk of suicide among homosexuals. And some have argued, well, that's because the culture doesn't accept them. Well, the fact of the matter is, in the Netherlands, they have studied these issues. And in the Netherlands, homosexuality is almost completely accepted by the culture. They affirm uh, gay unions and gay marriage and an openly homosexual lifestyle, and they report exactly the same kinds of psychological and psychiatric issues and disorders are much more prevalent, even in an accepting culture like the Netherlands or like Sweden. Okay. Fourth illustration, average life expectancy, according to some studies, is 20 to 30 years shorter. The average life expectancy for gay men right now is 42 years of age. For gay women, it is 49 years of age. Uh, That is almost 30 years less than the general population. So if you love somebody, you tell them the truth, even if it's truth they don't want to hear. But you say it with grace and with kindness. Now, a couple final questions. Can homosexual behavior change? The answer is yes. Certainly it can. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, after going through this list, passive homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals, etc., uh, etc., et it says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God, the moment you trust Christ, your identity is changed. Interestingly, now more secular studies are coming out affirming that when men or women say, I don't want to live in that lifestyle any longer, they're actually able to come out of that lifestyle and live free of that lifestyle. Certainly for a Christian, the moment that your identity is changed because you believe in Jesus Christ, there's a new power that is in you. It's called the Spirit of God, and you can say no. The alcoholic can say, no, I don't want to take another drink, and so I won't take another drink. They can make that choice. The temptation may be overwhelmingly powerful and strong, but being made in the image of God means we can make choices and act according to our will and not according to our passions and desires. Again, 1 Corinthians later, chapter 10, Paul will say, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able But with the temptation, we'll provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Homosexual behavior can change. Now, maybe more significantly to some of you, can homosexual attraction be changed? I take you to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Now, when he says, work out your salvation, he's not saying that you earn eternal life. He's saying you participate in the process of sanctification that is becoming more like Christ. 
And then he turns around and he says, because God is at work in you, both uh, literally to desire and to do his good pleasure. The more you say no to temptation and you say yes in obedience to Christ, that behavior reinforces an alternative set of desires. And the more you reinforce those desires, the stronger those desires become. And more dominant those desires become, more influential in your thinking. So more and more you identify yourself as a person, a person made in the image of God, a child of God, bought by Jesus Christ. That's the whole process of sanctification. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about it when we hit Romans chapter 6 through Romans chapter 8. But I want to make a couple of of, um, qualifications to the statement. The first, those new desires may or may not include heterosexual attraction. As God is creating new desires in you to grow and to walk with him, it may be that he also creates within you heterosexual attraction and desire. Many homosexuals leave that lifestyle, turn from that temptation, become attracted to members of the opposite sex, get married, and move on from that point. Some do, some don't. It might include heterosexual desires and attractions, but it may not. What I have discovered in uh, my personal relationships with homosexual men and the things that I have read is this. Those who have seen significant lasting change, for them the goal was not heterosexuality, the goal was holiness. The goal was to obey God and to become like Christ. And sometimes heterosexual attractions and desires came with that. Sometimes they didn't. Second, old desires may not fully disappear in this lifetime. That is true for every one of you. No matter what sin you struggle with, and no matter if it's genetic or if it's a history issue, or if it's choices you made, or some swirling combination that you can't unravel of all of those, when patterns of behavior are chosen, or even if they're not chosen, but there are attractions and desires and temptations that are in your life, some of those may be, may be deep. And if they've been reinforced for years, they may not just immediately disappear. If you have struggled with drinking, alcoholism, you may be tempted by alcohol, the rest of your life. That may be a particular vulnerability that you face the rest of your life. And it may be for a person uh, who struggles with homosexuality that that is a temptation that they face for the rest of their lives. Here's the point. For every single one of us, spiritual life is warfare. Until we see Jesus Christ face to face and we are glorified and this body, this flesh is renewed and we have a regenerated body, we are going to battle sin and temptation. You're going to battle certain temptations more strongly than I battle them. And I'm going to battle some more strongly than you battle. There will be particular vulnerabilities. But the fact is, the more we walk in obedience and holiness, the less power those temptations have upon us. And God does reframe and reshape our desires and our longings to conform to Jesus Christ. But that is a lifelong process. So those who have achieved or experienced incredible freedom and victory... They say, my goal is holiness, not heterosexuality. And I'm committed to it for an entire lifetime because you know what? It will be an entire life of battle. That's the Christian life. I think we do all brand new believers an incredible disservice. We give the impression that you trust Christ, man, battle's over. Mm -mm, Mm-mm, mm-mm, man, 
You're going to get after it now. And Satan's going to come at you in new and renewed and creative ways that you never imagined before. So that when you trust in the power of the Spirit, you demonstrate God's power in a broken world. Okay, you'll always battle. Now, application. A couple things. If you are struggling with homosexuality, I want you to remember three things. First, it's behavior that's sin, not temptation, not attraction. Okay? And don't let Satan lie to you and discourage you through this. It's the behavior, not the temptation, that's the sin. Second, the struggle itself does not define you. There's something much more important and fundamental about your identity, and that is who you are in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ yet, there's also something more fundamental and important about you, and that is that you are a creature made in the image of God. That's more important than your particular sin, struggle, and temptation. Third, there is hope, and freedom is possible. Lifelong battle, we're all going to fight temptation, but yes, there is hope, and people can change. We're going to spend our whole semester talking about that. A couple things to do. First, flee tempting people in situations. Now, friends, that applies to all of us. Paul says, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. We all have different areas in which we lust. Don't make provision for that. Uh, If alcohol is your temptation, don't get a job tending bar. Okay? Make provision for yourself. If you are struggling with homosexuality and all of your friends are homosexual, you need a new set of friends. You will not overcome this if you do not get a new set of friends who reinforce new values and new desires for you. You won't. Because your environment is going to constantly crush you. Flee temptation. Flee tempting people in situations. Be accountable to someone safe. Now, I say this because I don't think it's necessarily in your best interest to go out and tell the world. I wouldn't post what you struggle with on Facebook. Okay? I don't think that that's helpful in the sanctification process. Find someone or two or three people who are safe, who love you, who will hold you accountable for your behaviors, who will wrestle through with you the temptations and the attractions, and will walk with you for a lifetime. It may be that God will use you later and you will talk about this more publicly, but I wouldn't say, hey, tomorrow, come out and tell everybody this is your, your struggle. Find some really safe people. If you don't know any safe people, come and talk to me. Okay, let me point you a, a safe direction. Third, get expert help. Okay, I do think that unraveling your history sometimes is incredibly helpful for sins like uh, homosexuality, for, for sexual sins in particular. And you may need a counselor. I can point you toward a really good counselor who can help unpack some of those whys. It doesn't excuse behavior, but it can help you understand the whys and can move you forward in healing in a significant way. There's also a ministry called Exodus International. Fabulous ministry on helping homosexuals find a way out in Exodus, out of this lifestyle and the slavery that it creates in their lives. And now finally, What if someone you love battles homosexuality or lives as a homosexual? Pray. I know for parents, if if you have a child who's wrestling with this, it's it's probably just tearing you up. Pray and hope and believe because God can change people. Don't freak out, but pray. Pray that they would see truth and believe truth and act on truth, that God would surround them with people who are constantly speaking truth to them and doing so in love. Second, re-educate yourself. I think what most Christians think they know about homosexuality and the homosexual community, it's probably not very accurate. 
You might want to think about re-educating yourself. This is a huge cultural issue. You need to understand what's going on. It's not going away. It's not going away. A couple of resources. Again, Exodus International has a lot of good stuff for uh, friends and family members. Um, I don't want to overwhelm you with literature. There's a lot of good literature out there. But um, one of the best books is this short one. It's called 101 Frequently Asked Questions About Homosexuality. It's by a guy named Mike Haley. He directs um, Focus on the Family's uh, research and counseling in this area. He himself was formerly uh, involved in homosexual lifestyle, uh, came out of that, and uh, he's now married. He has two kids, and he writes and teaches and counsels on the subject. Um, he also has a bibliography at the back that's got a lot more helpful uh, literature and resources. So this is one, one good book. Then Reach Out in Truth and Grace. God's Grace and the Homosexual Next Door. Excellent book on this. I say truth and grace because if we don't have both, we're missing part of the message, right? It's got to be truth because it is sin. And it's destructive sin. But it needs to be with grace because you and I are also, also sinners saved by grace. And if we had the inside of the Apostle Paul, we would stand up and say, I'm the foremost, I'm the chief of sinners. We would be battling not for the place of highest righteousness, but for the place of lowest sinner, saved by grace. We are here this morning as Christians because we believe in the grace of God. He unconditionally accepts us in Christ, not based upon who we are or what we have done. Praise God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you do not leave us in the dark, but you tell us truth. I thank you that you are the great physician. You don't lie to us about our our condition. You tell us that we are dead and dying, but that you can give us life. I pray, Father, that you would teach us uh, how to reach out to all those who are around us, whether it's people struggling with homosexuality or any other sin that may be entangling them and dragging them down. I pray that we would speak truth without shame and fear, but we would also do so in grace and kindness because we are sinners saved by grace. Thank you this morning, Father, for your son, Jesus. It's in in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.